We are live. Welcome to Current Trends in Education with Dr. Diaz. This evening, we have a special guest, Dr. Karen Caraco, an instructional designer, training specialist, and educator who has dedicated her career to educating students, teachers, and leaders in the state of Florida and throughout the country. Dr. Caraco is currently an instructional specialist in visual arts, performing arts, in St. Lucie Public Schools in Port St. Lucie, Florida, and program manager of the federally funded SLPS Medici Project, a PDAE grant-funded project. Dr. Caraco is gonna add a lot to our conversation today. This is gonna be exciting. We're gonna have a good time and I hope you call in. All right, the first thing is, we are working on getting Dr. Krako on here. And as I work on this, a few things. How has this been going for you guys? I want y'all to think about this. You know, now that we're, some of us one, two weeks in, what modifications, changes you're making as we're going through. And uh, some folks are struggling on adapting to this new online classroom. And then we have folks that are just excelling through. But I gotta, I want you to think about a few things. Think about that student that may not have access. Think about that student that may be struggling to get a computer because they're sharing between three in the household. And as you're adding on more work or, or getting critical on assignments or even missed assignments, I want you to think about their story. Because we can get really, we can get downright critical and, and with expectations, and I understand expectations, but everyone's getting this transition right now. So I, I want you to think about that. And as we're going with stories, Let's see, I am going to tell you about Dr. Caraco. Uh, she has uh, a, not only uh, an amazing teacher, an amazing um, person, but she's a great friend of mine. And Dr. Caraco, are you there? Can you hear me? We still may be having some issues online. And I am going to ask Dr. Croco if you will either press call. I sent another invitation out to you. And she will be joining us sh shortly. Well, let's talk about a few things while we're working on this. First, how how we adapt to students and expectations, because right now we're starting to see more expectations from administrators on what we're doing. We're starting to experience um, expectations with communication, with grading. Folks are being asked, how much time are you on? They're monitoring the backside of systems to see where we are. All right. I think I, I can hear you, Dr. Diaz. And we can hear you. How are you? Yay, Eureka. All right. <laughs> I am okay. My apologies. I just don't know. I was all over the world on this internet. That's all right. That's all right. It is great to have you here. And how are you doing today? How's things going for you? You know what? I just thought as we were struggling here and I started six minutes early like a good band nerd to get on here on time. And I'm like, but you know what? How appropriate is this for the current place we're in right now? Right? Yeah. Take a breath. Don't panic. Keep on taking your strokes and you'll get there. That's it. And we're educators. We persevere. We will keep trying and we'll make it happen, right? Yes, I do, and I and I appreciate the uh, the the props there, Doctor Diaz. While you're waiting for me to get in, 
I got to tell you, I, I respect you greatly. I, the audience doesn't know. They, they don't know your story. And what I'd like you to do is sort of give us your story, where you are now and how you got here. So work it backwards. Okay. So um, number one, thanks for having me tonight. I'm very excited, a little, little nervous. I've never done such a broadcasted podcast before. But I'm currently the Instructional Specialist for Visual Performing Arts in St. Lucie Public Schools, which is in St. Lucie County, Florida. And if you're not familiar where that is, we're halfway between Orlando and Fort Lauderdale, but on the coast. And I've been in this role for about three years. Um, my role developed because the county won a um, competitive grant for professional development for arts educators. And our grant, in addition to helping arts educators improve their classroom practice and, and develop their uh, understanding of their, their craft. It also um, focuses on integrating the arts with the sciences. So that, that's a, an interesting bent, you know, that's totally been on the learning curve, you know, for me. Uh, before that, I was a career band director. And through other experiences, I have been doing leadership training and mentoring training uh, throughout the state and, and to other parts of the country as well. Um, but have, I spent 30 years in the classroom uh, doing mostly secondary uh, instrumental music. So um, I kind of fell into this role because I came back to the school district where I grew up and I was working again with colleagues who knew my prior skill set as a band director and had known that I had earned my doctorate where a lot of the research I did for that project certainly is coming into play now. Uh, so that's my most recent tail end of this, but I really think that I was kind of born to be an educator. I, I was that kid, you know, teaching her dolls, getting her siblings to sit down if I could, you know, force them to sit and to uh, have a classroom. Yeah, you know, th so the from band director into this position, you know, the you've been working that total hands-on and now you're with teachers, you're watching best practices. And I imagine that you're also go getting with science programs as well. And as far as you're doing this, best practices are best practices. I mean, when you're in there and you're watching, t tell me what, what impresses you the most as you walk into that great classroom? Wow, that's, that's tough. I, I think what impresses me most, and I shouldn't say it impresses me because I am a band director after all. So for me, it's the expectation <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is that, you know, when I walk into a classroom, if it's an art classroom, if it's a dance classroom, if it's a science classroom, is the level of engagement. And not that students are busy, but they're really engaged with what they're doing and what the product is going to be when they're done, that they're really focused on the learning. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I find as well, you know, also offering that productive struggle and making sure that students are being challenged. And I'm not talking about just working that middle group. I'm talking every level. And, and as a band director, most band directors are really good at doing that and, and they're working all the way through and it's making sure not to fail any kid in the classroom. That's the, that's the level that I always see when, I'm, when I see everyone, everyone's engaged and everyone's attacking through whatever project they're working on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Beautiful. And anyone that wants to call in, if you have questions, we will answer questions. Just hit that call button. And as we go through, we'll get to know uh, Casey and even more. And we're going to we're going to ask her some questions about mentoring, because Casey, you've done a lot of work on mentoring, haven't you? I have done. That was actually the, the focus of my doctoral research was on uh, mentoring amongst secondary band directors. All right. And um, it was, I, I still use that research. I would say I think that level of research and that area of study is what elevated me to the position I'm in now. Because 
really understanding what the adult learner needs or what the adult professional needs when they're transitioning from, you know, uh, collegiate and you know pre-professional learning into those first couple of years of professional as a professional. Yeah, I, I tell you what, I, and I want to go through this because there's there's those mentoring roles that are assigned in schools and in districts. And then we have those mentoring roles that just sort of take place. And before we start that, though, I have, a, I have someone that's calling in and we're going to have Mark come on. Mark, you there? Hello, Mark. Hello? I don't hear you, Mark. Check Hello? Your, there you go. What's happening, Hello? Mark? I want to ask Dr. Franco if she's been, uh, how she's mentored her, her teachers since we've been in all this. Uh, well, that, that kind of leads into, well, thank you, Mark. That, that's a really good question, and that kind of segues into Dr. Diaz, what you were just saying. Um, because of my research, I really kind of take issue with the term mentoring. Uh, the real understanding of mentoring in its truest sense is, is building a relationship. And the current situation we're in right now with regard to technology and people who didn't sign up to be, you know, digital teachers or digital learnings, learners are thrust into this situation. So I don't know that I've had the time yet. I can certainly see the starting of relationships that could turn into mentoring relationships. But right now, it's, I would consider myself more of a coach. And as Dr. Diaz was referencing, you know, before, is that I think sometimes we use the term mentoring a little, a little loosely. That um, when you come into a building, especially if you're a fine arts educator, there might not be another arts educator in your building, in your discipline. There might not be another music teacher or another art teacher. Uh, there might be another PE coach. There, there might be another, maybe, you know, another um, dance teacher if you're teaching different disciplines, you know, or if you're the music teacher, if you're the band director, there might be a chorus teacher. But rarely do you get a chance to develop a relationship with somebody in your school that has the opportunity to, to build into a real mentoring relationship. Normally it's like, okay, you've been teaching for three years. Here's this new kid. You both have brown hair. Why don't you be his mentor? Yeah. You know, and so that's what I think when, you know, I'm cautious when I use that term mentoring. So Mark, I know I'm going you know, quite around the, the wheel here to get to this. So right now it's just been coaching and support. Um, I've taken on a few extra professionals um, in different disciplines that are, work outside my grant a little bit to just be a resource for them. But right now, we just have to get all hands on deck to know that we're, we're all helping each other get through this. So um, I hope that answers your question. I, I wouldn't call it mentoring right now. Yes, I would call it just you know, throwing out as many life jackets as we can. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. And Mark, I got to tell you, uh, on on every campus, on how the structures worked uh, throughout Florida and throughout the nation as we're in this transition, hopefully some trust has been built with instructional coaches and um, folks that can aid teachers because, you know, having that trust up front is critical so that you can move someone. And so they, they trust that you're leading them or giving them great uh, advice that they can use in that classroom to make changes for, you know, for the kids. My school system has uh, all, anytime someone learns something new, they just emailed it to all the teachers and said, hey, this is working for me. So it's, it's uh, been a group effort for the last two weeks for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. Go ahead, Casey. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Dr. Diaz. Um, and Mark, you know, that that's a really good, it's a good place to start. But what I'd like to talk about what's happened in our district is that um, we were able to get 
an educator and a, a s several of them came out of the project that you know I'm working on that we got leader teachers in each discipline to help kind of organize the flow of information because Mark you, you're probably sometimes a little overwhelmed by what's coming into your inbox yes the last two weeks uh, it was very exciting to get all the uh, online stuff for for my class but then I had to go and look at and research it and see what was free and see what was expensive and uh, that's taken some time to learn those platforms right and that's why you know again uh, when you're saying the mentoring role I like that you know Dr. Diaz used you know the support role or the coaching role you know the instructional coach because these teachers who are classroom teachers answered on the first call and they're like you know what I'm willing to do that so we have I think about 12 teams now of arts educators and uh, physical education teachers all really you know climbing up the same rope together yep and, and I gotta tell you on on a camp I'm at Zephyr Hills High School I'm in Zephyr Hills High School um, and this is in Pasco County Schools as soon as this went out, I contacted all my, my, the teachers on campus that were really strong in Canvas and had these tools that they were using across the board. And we made sure that they were going to be in the support system in their PLCs, their various groups, so that everyone could funnel through up through those teachers and they could have that support. And those teachers, of course, had great relationships built in with their colleagues and their PLC. Thank uh, you for answering my question. Great, Mark. It's great to yeah, have you. Yeah, thanks. Anyone else want to call in? By all means, please call in. And we do have someone. All right. I think I recognize this guy. Hey, boss, are you there? I am. Raymond Diaz, this is Wesley Locke, your hey, college hey, buddy. What's happening, man? How you doing? Great. So uh, I love this topic. Um, I'm, I'm currently a principal at a charter school in Lake County, and um, the what, we're, what, what I've tried to do over the last five, six years is build um, teams and not worry too much about assigning mentors, but build individual teams in each grade level that function together well. Um, and I find that if you can make that happen um, by placing the right people with the right people, and they can build those relationships and they can become uh, not only coworkers, but friends. Um, then when they have a struggle, they've got a support system. And when this whole thing hit, what, three weeks ago now, um, and we had to completely redo how we do education, I was blown away by how well my grade level teams developed a whole new way of doing school in, in literally five days. Well, um, yeah, Wes, I tell you what, I like that. Uh, you know, on that point, so you had that structure built. They had all that trust in the world with each other, right? Exactly. Uh, Casey, in, with your research, building that trust, I mean, that's a critical factor, correct? You know, it, it absolutely is. And for arts educators, um, unfortunately, and probably the physical education um, community as well, is we fall very short in that area. Um, I noticed that, you know, Wesley said for his, you know, teams and his grade level teams. Well, very often all of the arts educators are teaching at the same time because that's when they go to... Um, specials is when all the other teachers have planning and so it's it really is a little a different set of circumstances and I think a little harder to to develop amongst the arts community uh, in your schools and it's not that they're not interested it's not that they're not you know loving but um, uh, they are um, certainly 
they're isolated. Islands. Yeah, they're, they're isolated from uh, the rest of the school, you know. And the other thing is, too, for the arts educators, and maybe for the coaches a little bit, too, we're, we're kind of a competitive lot, you know. And so we're used to being buying our, by ourselves, and we always want to be really good at what we do. And so I think sometimes... Um, it, it takes a little more trust, as Raymond was saying, to build that team spirit. We're good team players, but we want to make sure we're all on the same team. Can I tell you what we've done at my school for that? I would, I would love to hear that. So, you know, I, um, I was also a, a music teacher. Uh, that's where I started. And so I know what being an island is like. And, and you're right. They, they tend to not... Um, do things together because they don't ever get a chance to plan together. Um, so what I've done is every, uh, at least once a month, it's actually, I think it's down to every three weeks now. Um, we have what's called super specials and, um, a grade level on a Wednesday will go to, um, their specials classes for a two and a half hour block of time. And they rotate through all the different, art teacher and the music teacher and the PE coach. And, um, and then what we've done is we've built in a two and a half hour block of time where they, those teachers on a Wednesday, every three weeks has that time for themselves. Um, so there's no kids going through that rotation on that two and a half hour block and they get, they get time to work on doing things together. Um, and we've done it now for about two years and I'm really starting to see they're doing some combined things now that, um, PE and music are doing things together and our steam teacher and, uh, music are doing things together and the librarian is doing stuff with all of them. So, um, give it, providing that time for them to have the opportunity to work together is very useful. Yeah. Well, well I got to tell you, and Casey, one say I, Mark wrote here earlier, and, and it's nice having a, a school principal on here as well. Uh, Mark wrote, uh, what, are, what are you doing for the students without internet? What type of things are you doing? Because I've heard of counties that are, you know, putting out paper packets. I, I hear in the pan, there are counties in the panhandle that are driving packets out by buses. What, what are the things you're doing for folks to help support? <laughs> so, so my school... Um, is in the very rural part of Northern Lake County. And many of my kids don't have internet access or decent cell phone service. Um, so what we did is we kind of did a blended model. We did, um, <clears throat> we're utilizing Google Classroom quite a bit. Um, and then some, some programs that the kids are already used to um, that, that, we that we use during the regular school year. Um, but then our teachers created individualized packets for each kid and and what i love about what what they did was it's not a cookie cutter approach to teaching these kids at home um and that's one thing i've i've witnessed from um some of the districts is okay well we're going to use this program and everybody's going to do this program and that's how we're going to solve this problem what we did is we individualized the packets so if the, if a student is on a a particular reading level in first grade, they got sent home work that was on their level. It wasn't um, not too hard, not too simple. Um, and then kids that are that were advanced, they we were able, we were able to keep keep pushing them, um, and it's worked really well. Um, I was worried at first because we don't have the technology advantages that some places have, um, but the actual kind of blending it and doing both paper packets and um, some digital stuff has been really well received by the parents and the kids. All right. Well, you know, Casey and I have talked about this, Dr. Croco, we've talked about, you know, regardless of what we're using, we've got to just make sure that we're taking this one step at a time and moving appropriately for the kid. And, and could you talk about that, that, the students have this transition. Sometimes teachers are wanting to give too much up front. I mean, give some advice on this as well uh, with this transition to online and whether packets or not, because they're working on this at home with parents. However, go ahead and take the over on that one. 
Are you talking to me, Raymond? Uh, Dr. Crocco. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm going to say, uh, Wesley, before I get too far from this, uh, your super specials idea, that for me was worth the price of admission. <laughs> I, I will certainly be hanging on to that. You know, I think that's, you know, certainly a, a, a great idea and a great and innovative way to, to look at things. Um, you know, uh, I appreciate Mark's question for students without Internet. And uh, our county is a <clears throat> Title I district. So we have a lot of kids who are technology poor. And right now we're just trying to make sure that we can get kids the technology so that still is our our greatest i guess goal is to make sure there's at least one device in every household not necessarily a laptop you know maybe a, an ipad or a, not certainly not an ipad a chromebook you know or some sort of you know tablet for students to um you know access with but we're starting slow, you know. We're for for the people that um, I'm coaching right now. We started a week later than everybody else did in the core content because we have to develop our curriculum, and we wanted to make sure that we could just use the arts and physical education to be comforting and enriching as we we know it can be for them. So that's what we're doing there in our discipline. For the other areas, they are making some packets. We are still doing food service in our district, I think, and I'm not sure, but we have maybe a dozen areas. Um, but we have packets going out some places where foods are being distributed. I know our media center has, um, the district media center has two TV stations one in each end of the county that is running days long worth of programming. So it might not be actually the assignments, but students are still able to get instruction. I believe how it runs is like different programming on different days and about 45 minutes of programming per grade level. So for students who don't have uh, electronics, we're hoping everybody has at least a television set and that might not be the case. But we're still trying to figure that out. Like, you know, you said, we're just, for us, you know, we're, you know, 10 days into instruction. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, Wes, I want you to stay on just in case. And uh, Mark's back with us with another question or a comment. Mark? Yes, I, I think that's true for my area, too. We're just trying the best to give it paper or uh, or Google Classroom is what we, we've been using. My question for anyone on the radio is... Um, we were told that now we cannot give grades, but we're still expected to give assignments. Assignments. So, uh, your thoughts on that? Well, I, I'll tell you. Uh, when you start thinking about grades, and and when I when I think about not giving grades, I would imagine that you're giving something for work that's turned in, but maybe not uh, penalizing work that's not turned in. Right. Happening? Yes. Okay. So, yes. and I got to tell you, my thought on that is that is wonderful because we don't know. Remember, when I started this podcast, I was like, we don't know the story in each household. We don't know who's getting hit mm -hmm. with um, any type of virus at their home. We don't know if they don't have, they only have one device for three kids in a house. We don't know if they only have a very, if they even have internet connection or are they getting do they have gas right now to get up to to get the package because those parents could have lost jobs they're conserving money they be, may be consolidating the households with other folks so we don't know everyone's story and True. can't really start penalizing just because you know we don't know the story how about uh, our, our principal on board right now Mr. Locke, what do you what do you say on that one? So what I've told what I've told my staff is um, right now what I'm what I'm most concerned about is let's do what we can and don't stress about what we can't do. And number one priority is keep them reading. They just they got to keep reading. Um, and if we can throw in some some math fluency and 
some fundamentals in there. That's awesome. Um, but whatever we do, um, we don't want to stress them out because th this, this is a stressful situation for everybody. Um, and you know, I've got, I know a lot of my parents work in the, the service industry. They're, they're waiters or waitresses or, or chefs or, and, and they're just not working right now. Um, and so this is, this is a challenging time for them. Um, and the kids are not used to this. The, we, we do, we do zoom meetings with the kids every day and all the kids say is they want to come back to school. Um, and we're only, you know, this could go on for another month, um, if not more. So grades are like, I'm not real concerned about grades right now. We, we, we know our kids, we know where they're at. So uh, I'm not going to stress about that. That's our administration's uh, viewpoint too. Try to get the bare bones taught and uh, just do your best to get to everyone. Well, and uh, if I could contribute here, you know, what, when I was giving instruction for our team of arts educators and physical um, education teachers, our mindset was we want our discipline, and I think this goes for everybody, we're always telling our kids about how education's good for you, it makes you a better person. This is the time to use the skills that they have in place to enrich who they are. You know, it doesn't matter if they're turning stuff in to get a sign. As, you know, Wesley said, are they reading? Are they doing math to, to help mom with a recipe? Are they counting, you know, how many times they can tie their shoelaces? I think from a, an, a, a quantitative standpoint, our goal should be not losing what we've learned, almost kind of like that summer slide. We're trying to eliminate a slide that started in March instead of in June. Yeah. You know, that we have to be careful. You know, everybody has said, we don't know these children's home situation. We are also blessed that you know, we have air conditioning, you know, it's not the, you know, us Floridians and even, you know, along the, you know, and almost anywhere in the country now, you know, we experience, you know, hurricanes when there's, there's no, there's no fresh water, there's no electricity, you know, right now, we're blessed that we can at least have children in homes that are being fed and are safe. I agree. And, and I tell you what, we kicked off some social emotional learning in Pasco this year that was amazing. And I, I imagine most everyone in the in the state of Florida were, were really getting into the social emotional learning. And this is where it really comes out because you start us you really need to put yourself in that position to understand everyone's struggling differently. And um, and then if you start to put too much pressure on a kid at home, let's just say uh, you start really putting high expectations and you're upset that you're not getting these assignments in, it is very easy to close that computer and, uh, and to turn off from a teacher. So that you've got to be careful and you've got to understand how to speak and how that message comes across because it is different when it comes across in an email or when you're communicating in that aspect. Wonderful. I, you know what? Let's uh, let's talk about a few other things. And uh, Wes, I'm gonna let you go. For, hey, do you have anything else, Wes? Hey, I'm just glad to hear you on the radio, buddy. Hey, and I won't tell any. I won't tell any stories um, live. How about how's that? We can't go there, right? This <laughs> 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 for another time. Listen, I appreciate it. It press call if you if you see a topic you want to jump back in on. Okay. You got it. All right. Uh, Casey, I wanted to go over and, and for the folks to listen, we have, um, you know, we do a ton of professional development throughout the year. We go through and, and then, of course, I have my favorites over the my career. What has been one that's really impacted you and really changed your mindset or just impacted how you think as an educator? Well... That's a really great question, Dr. Diaz. Um, I'm, I'm going to tell you this. I think when I was a young educator, so many things were so important to me in terms of developing my skill set. You know, I you know, remember 
the first time somebody told me that you could, you know, tune a clarinet mouthpiece, you know, or somebody showed me how to hold a trombone properly, um, or, you know, how to balance a band. I mean, I can just think of some great sessions I went to um, with, you know, some people who still aren't even alive, may they rest in peace, who, you know, just, just t told me things about my craft that really turned me on as an educator but that was like forward motion does that make sense to you know building a skill set mm -hmm. um later in my career and really very recently um i was able to attend the summer music educators workshop at carnegie hall in new york city and i really felt my center change they did a lot of musical and kind of like you were saying about the social emotional learning, and this was for grown up folks, this, these were for professionals. But being an, an educator and being a band director, I was always looking for the timeline for that next concert to prepare my kids to get my curriculum in before the end, you know, check, 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 you know, moving them right along. And we really spent a lot of time about giving yourself, you know, me as a professional musician, and we had to bring our horns, so I had to get back in touch with that part of myself, about giving the artist the time and space they needed to let things grow. And I was a 30-year educator when I went to that symposium, and it just, like, changed my life. Mm-hmm. You know, that being, you know, again, going back to the person I am, you know, I'm the first girl, but I'm also a middle child. I'm in a male-dominated family, so I go and I go hard. Right. And, you know, just, just really understanding that some things just need time and space to become the best that they can be. And that was just, you know, last summer, and here we are, you know, not even 365 days, and boy, is that a valuable lesson. Yeah, this, you're giving me goosebumps on this one right now. I got to tell you, because that, I, I, when we, when you just start reflecting on that, that just tells you, uh, take a deep breath and let everything sink in. And, and that's the same way you got to treat for your kids, right? Absolutely. I remember um, when I was a young educator, I, I would gig frequently and my kids could always tell. It, it finally got to be to the point where they were like, you know, you gigged this weekend, Miss Croco, didn't you? And I, it, it took me a while to pick up that they could pick up on it. And I was like, yeah, why? They're like, you talk to us differently if you've been out playing for the weekend. And I was like, oh, snap. I was like, you know, because it really does. It, it really, it makes you think differently when you get engaged in your profession that way. And that's why I just think, you know, um, kind of an unusual path maybe to becoming, you know, an instructional designer and an instructional specialist. But boy, when teachers don't value being students, they're really missing out on their capability and their potential in their craft. Yes, yes. Well, hey, we got a caller coming in. I don't see a name. Let's see how this goes. Here we go. Hello. All right, so we'll disconnect from that one. I'm not... Uh, Okay, so Casey, when you were going there, and, and I got to tell you, that, that's pretty impactful. Much like, uh, and, and I got to tell you, so that reminds me of many things. Because a lot of the research shows folks are, are in a classroom. They don't give enough wait time for students to, to answer a question. Sometimes the wait time is only like three or four seconds and the kids are still processing. And we have some students in that room that may take up to 30 seconds to process. And you see where I'm going with this? Oh, absolutely. And, and that is a toughie because as educators, we start to get into that timeline and I have to accomplish and I have so many standards to get through. And right. I'm working as fast as I can and just sitting back going, you know what? I've got to check mastery. 
and I've got to let I've got to let the kids let this sink in for the kids. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm with you on that. Uh, as far as uh, finding that professional development, it sounds like what you did in New York was incredible, right? Oh, I mean, it was it was truly life changing. And now, and I don't say that lightly. Now, when you are in those situations, you have kind of you kind of got muffled there, Doctor Diaz. We're not hearing you anymore. Are you hearing me now? Yeah, we got you now. Okay. So when you're in that student role and and the, and you're in those PDs where you're the active student and they're and then you get to sit back once it's over and you reflect on it, that's where it really comes in. And it's like, this is how it, this is how I'm going to impact my kids now. Well, absolutely. And I'll tell you, um, I just thought when I was thinking about, you know, your question, the other one that has been really, again, just taken me to, to a whole different perspective of understanding myself and my role as a professional I went to my first training for trainers. It wasn't kid focused, it was grown up focused. Because especially in public education, a lot of the people who are in administrative roles or coaching roles, or you know, even maybe our highest leadership, we start with the pedagogy of teaching children. And teaching adults is very, very different than teaching children. And Having gone to my first, uh, the Association for Talent Developments runs some really great courses, three and four day courses. And when I went to my first one, it was just like all the pieces that were missing kind of started coming in for me. It's like, I think I did a really good job of, you know, holding effective professional developments, but lights really started popping and shining and, and bells whistling. I was just like, oh, that's how that could be better. Oh, that's how that could be better. Because I felt like I understood the adults I was working with, like I had grown to know my students. Gotcha. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And, and it- Does that make sense? It does. And I think when we hear, when we hear educators come back to campuses and they go, you know what? that PD just didn't do it for me or they Mm -hmm. move so fast. They do this. You know, I only got to take away, you know, a quarter of it. It was like cognitive overload in the, in the PD. Right. That, that really probably comes down to that. Yeah. You know, I, I really think that, you know, what I'm learning from trainers, not in education and, and we've all had those too. We have somebody coming in because our district just spent, you know, 18 billion dollars on a new curriculum project. So these people come in and deliver training and they don't get teachers. You know, so really having, you know, being a 30 year educator, but now getting the input from people who are professional trainers of adults, I tell you what, man, it's a game changer for me. Uh, Hey, we got another uh, person joining us. This is Mike Eddy. Mike, how are you? I'm good, Dr. Dan. How are you? I'm doing well, man. And uh, I can't wait to hear your question. <laughs> or, or what do you have to join w- with us, man? Uh, and, well, I was just, uh, I, I listened in last week, and, and um, we're just listening a lot today, uh, especially about um, when we're talking about professional development for arts teachers and, and the difficulty sometimes to find, to find the right PL for them other than. Uh, you know, if you're if you're talking about um, being the, the one subject area in the one school, you know, mm-hmm. either the middle school, high school band director, or the choral director, or even elementary music teacher, you know, while other teachers are engaged in professional learning in their building on their time, it's more difficult for them just because they're the only person in their building. And so that, uh, as a former fine arts coordinator, that was always a, a difficulty for me to make sure we, we put together professional learning that was meaningful for them. But at the same time, it, it allowed them an opportunity to be engaged, even on times when their whole building is engaged in other um, other uh, PL. 
I, I tell you what, that it's a, it's a challenge quite often, especially uh, Mr. Eddie here. Uh, when that teacher goes back, and a lot of these arts teachers feel like they're on an island or they put themselves on one on their campus. I mean, you know, they're singleton. So it makes it difficult too, right? It does. It you does. know, I, I think that makes it challenging. And Mike, part of what our grant does is help alleviate that problem because we can pay for substitutes and, you know, uh, to, to get our educators to collectively there. But I also think some of it, some of the problem is, is that there's a little bit of a trust issue that everybody has to make sure everybody's doing the same thing. It's almost like when we talk about, you know, treating kids equitably, you know, versus fairly. It's does every kid get the same or does every kid get what they need? You know, it's the same teachers. If your core content teachers are doing one thing on your campus, why can't we think a little bit about letting all of our arts educators do something else? But some, in, you know, in some school districts, and I'll tell you what, my school district is becoming really flexible about this, is that we're trying to understand that not every shoe fits everybody the same way. But, right. you know, we, we kind of always do what we've always done, right? Yeah, yeah. That's true. Hey, we have another. Uh, Wes is back on with us. We got like the Stetson connection here. Casey, you may not know. Mike Eddy went to Stetson. Wes went to Stetson. These are buddies of mine and uh, uh, great musicians, amazing educators. Wes, what you got to join on this one? Well, first, I got to say hi to Mike. Good to see you, Mike. Um, um, but what, what you all were just talking about with, uh, you know, when I think back to my to my music teacher days, um, when you're when you're an arts person, you are such an island at your school, um, and it's hard to battle that sometimes. But one thing that that I've that I've focused on as a as an administrator now is trying to find every possible opportunity for those people to get involved with the other parts of the school. Um, and so like our situation right now where we're, we're, you know, it, it's awful hard for our music teacher or our PE coach or our steam teacher to do anything with the kids right now, because right now it, it, it's, it's virtually impossible, but they have all jumped in and are doing re like really cool, uh, little art projects with, that the kids can send pictures of stuff they've drawn or something like that. Or, um, or they're even calling some of our ESE students and helping them with their, with their math assignments or their science stuff. Um, so to get them to be part of the bigger picture um, has really helped us um, as a school because they're now just as involved with our kids in reading and math and science as they are in music or PE or library. Well, You're right about that, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I just wanted to uh, jump in there that I know for us, we're really starting to jump into the arts integration now. And part of the, um, the educators in my project are like, why are we only doing science? There's so much more we can do. Um, because the arts integrate across every discipline. Science was chosen because that's what our district needs the most help in. Um, but you are right. When you start getting these teachers feeling like you were saying before, feeling like a part of the team, man, you want those arts teachers on your team. You want those physical education. Classroom management like nobody else because they have twice as many bodies in their classroom at a time. And boy, Absolutely. Are, they, are they creative about you know, understanding what each individual student needs. They're great pairs. They're great teams. Mike? Yeah, I, would, I mean, the other, I would echo what, what uh, Wes talked about from my own experience as a middle school principal. And um, the thing about it, and, and a former elementary principal, so the, the, thing, the thing about that with the arts teachers themselves is the, the ability that they have to be so creative. You know, we, we've kind of gotten ourselves to the point when you start with or Ken Robinson, you start looking at the long-term research on what happens when kids come in as kindergartners and they leave out as a senior. And the one thing we've accomplished is to, to zap the creativity out of them. So when you get that kindergarten kid that is 98% of the day based upon creativity 
and and talent and that development. And then when by the time they get a senior, be seniors and they're graduating, you know, we're only using five percent of that creativity because we've managed to streamline it into taking that part out. And so, as Wes was talking about, even these times where many of us are now doing the distance learning uh, from state to state, it is good to have those those people to interject and helping kids any way they can. But the, the important thing I've tried to explain to mine too is the importance of, of maintaining the creativity end, because for so many of those kids that come to school, that's the thing that they that's the thing they enjoy the most, and that's really the reason why they get there. And so, it's important for us as we look on for professional development as we look at old teachers, both math and language arts and reading teachers, that we, we still have to, to foster that whole idea of creativity and not lose it when they start off in kindergarten. And so it's important for us, like um, in my former elementary school, um, I had all the teachers uh, went through the gifted endorsement program, and not necessarily because we felt like we had that many gifted kids, but you did learn the difference between uh, a gifted student and a really high-achieving student. But there was so much of that layer that dealt with those students that are super creative. Um, and so that's the, that's the thing that I think we have to continue to, to look at is how do you develop that but maintain in these arts disciplines and the professional learning, but let those people help lead the rest of the faculty on the creative, the creativity end. Amen. Man, well, listen, I'm going to – hey, Mike, it's awesome to hear you. Wes, y'all yeah. are – valuable in this. Uh, I'm going to let y'all go for now. We're going to answer a question from someone. Okay. I hope y'all continue listening. It is awesome to hear from you guys. You too, man. All right. So, Casey, we have uh, Lori, uh, Lori asked a question. It says, if you could fast forward to the end of 2020, what do you hope to see change in education when we return back to our school sites? And uh, do you want to take that first? Or you want me to go with this? Um, you know, why don't you go first, Dr. Diaz? All right. Well, I will tell you this. This is the shift in education right now. I honestly see uh, we are going to see more blended education than we've ever seen. Right now, we are merging educators all over the country into these computer platforms, we are having to understand and, and utilize a whole different means of pushing out content and, and getting students to master content. Right now, honestly, our, I don't know if our students are mastering, but we're going into a whole different experience for, our, for all of our students. And I think that this ultimately, we're going to come out of this and be much stronger. We're going to understand um, our students in the styles of learning and how to accommodate that and adjust that in online learning as well. As opposed to prior to this, educators may have just been using Kahoot or a Nearpod and throwing things in. Uh, and not using things to full capacity to really hit um, mastery for students and for to really get long-term learning and long-term memory on concepts. And I think this is going to shift us to where we even become um, we become so much more knowledgeable in blended learning. All right, that's my thought on that. And how about you, Dr. Crop? You know what? I think what I'm going to say is, is going, it's, it's on the opposite side of the same coin, though. But, Dr. Diaz, what I really think this is doing for us as a, a country, as our small communities, but for public education especially, we're having to be students again. You know, even in your intro, while I was, you know, waiting to fuss with the technology and, you know, both Mike and, you know, Wesley talked about it as they called in and Mark did as well, is that we're talking about what the students need. We're not saying, can they an insert number here, insert discipline here, insert test name here. We're saying, what do the students need? And if I could fast forward to the end of you know 2020 that's what i hope we hang on to is that we remember at the end of every decision made in public education there is a student at the end of that decision well said wonderful 
And and I got to tell you, I mean, we, we don't hear much about testing right now, right? It's all about the kid right now. Absolutely. And But how how is that hitting our ears, right? We're noticing that because it's not what we usually hear. Right. Yeah. You, you know, I really hope that um, that this shift, I, I just hope that we can get back to basics with students and start thinking, you know what, what do we need? What do we need kids to know as far as what we need for that test? All right. Well, AC, this has been awesome today, right? Oh, I, I've, I've been, it's invigorating Dr. Diaz to hear so many people so interested in what's best for our kids. Well, I, you know what? We had quite a few questions. I, I got to tell you, um, it's awesome having folks call in and everyone, I really hope that you can share this so that we can have even more interaction week to week. Uh, Casey, I got one more for you. Your best tip right now for educators, your best tip for, for what they're experiencing right now. What, what's the one thing that you're like, you know what, this is what I want you to really take from me. Um, you know, you, you said it before and I'm like, man, he gave my answer for that question. Is I just want everybody to breathe. Just take a breath. That, um, you know, I, I think you and I have discussed it because you know, we've been hot and, you know, you know, burning up those wires trying to do what we can for our teachers. But you, like you do for your kids, start where you are. If that means the best you can do this week is to use Remind, then use Remind to get those kids out there to make a connection with your kids. And so next week you're going to do something on maybe Microsoft Teams or Google Classroom. Then next week you do one more thing, one step at a time that you don't have to do it all now. And that's how I mentioned earlier, our teachers in this district, these teacher leaders have been fabulous about trying to keep the calm. Take a breath, keep the calm, see what your students need and provide that. Your administrators are gonna support you, your superintendents are gonna support you because right now it's about that child and their family. So take a breath, focus on what's important. Beautiful, well said. Uh, Casey, uh, talking to you every time I learn something, every time we're on the phone, we have a conversation. And I got to tell you, we had Wes and and Mike Eddy, Wes Locke, Mike Eddy, both principals. And I follow I follow Wes online and see what he's doing with his students, which is absolutely amazing work. And his teachers are always motivated. Mike Eddy, I've got to tell you, this Mike Eddy's an incredible human being. He can motivate you just by t having a conversation and. And then what he is musically as well, an absolutely amazing teacher. I've, I've heard his bands back in the day that were incredible. And I imagine that he's motivating teachers in Georgia and doing an incredible job. Uh, just listening to him talk uh, makes you realize absolutely. how Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Well, we are rounding up the show today. I got to tell everyone, thank you so much. I'm going to do the outro here. If you'll hang on for a second, Dr. Crocco, I'm going to just sort of hit this music. We're going to do an outro. This is the end of our show. Thank it you. Podcast. Y'all listen up. Uh, this, uh, I, I don't even do uh, my pre-recorded stuff for this show. I do everything live. And if you can tell your friends to sign in or to get on the Podbean. Also, this show will be on uh, iTunes. I will I will put this out so anyone that wants to listen to the show, you can listen to it on iTunes as well as uh, Podbean. And we'll go from there. But let me hit this and I'm going to be signing off for this show. All right. So today we had Dr. Casey Caraco. That's Dr. Karen Caraco on with us. Uh, she gave insight and she says, you know what? Take a deep breath, one step at a time, and uh, build, build your capacity one step at a time. We also had Mike Eddy, a principal out of Georgia, and Wes Locke, a principal in Florida, that helped us out and talked about, you know what? Let's make these choices for students and make sure the student comes first. 
make sure that each student has what they need and then we can build all right so next week we'll be here at 7 p.m and that's eastern standard time i hope you all join and i appreciate you checking in y'all have a good one <laughs>